Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Thanks for joining me again. So I have the privilege to have one of my peers here at Zscaler, Rich Companion. Uh, this is Zscaler's SVP and GM for Posture Control back with us. Now, Rich, you were here about a year ago and you and, and, and my dear friend, Lisa Lorenzen, we talked about Zscaler's offering at the time, right? Um, so many organizations in their move to cloud, if they haven't moved to cloud already, and really what, from a Zscaler perspective, we're seeing is kind of the Wild West out there relative to cloud workflows and so forth. And so tell us, are you, we still seeing similar things to the Wild West that we saw a year ago? That term Wild West is really interesting because I hear it at least once a week now I, from customers. Um, and I, I feel like uh, we've made some progress because the, uh, the the size and the scale of the Wild West or the relative scale of the Wild West has, has shrunk. So most organizations will say, hey, you know, we have some portion, some piece, half, whatever it is, of, of our cloud environments properly governed and, and maintained. And we know exactly what's running there. We have good control. And then this other portion is is the Wild West. So the portion of this they assign, ascribe to, uh, to Wild West has shrunk, but still there's a lot of ungoverned cloud environments out there, either via M&A or you know, just business units or application development teams that have taken off on their own uh, and made this happen. So uh, we've made some progress, but it's still an issue. So one of the, the topics we talked about also was the amount of actual levers that you can adjust in a cloud instance based on you know whether you're whatever cloud you've chosen, GCP, Azure, or AWS, there just seems to be such an amount of features and functionalities that organizations can turn on or off. Is Are you still seeing issues with organizations not sure of what to turn on and off and maintaining that? The, the situation we, we find ourselves in is that the major cloud providers that you just mentioned uh, are in an arms race, right? They are trying to innovate as rapidly as possible. And, and one of the key ways that they innovate is by providing new services to uh, to their customers. And uh, at last count, I actually counted, not that it took me that long, but I actually counted a couple of months ago. And just across uh, AWS, Azure, and uh, and Google, there are more, hundred, more than 750 services available from those three cloud providers. And uh, that is showing no signs of, of slowing down, right? And these services are, are in, a, in a wide array of you know, compute, storage, you have a lot of new ML and AI type services, a huge explosion of these services. And every single service has some number, some may have more, some may have fewer of configuration options that have some impact on security in the environment. And so, you know, the, the challenge is that if, I don't know, AWS announces some new service tomorrow, for some subset of our customer base, the people listening to this to this podcast, there's going to be a developer in that organization that goes out and gets that new service the day that it's announced by Amazon and starts playing with it, potentially even putting some, you know, production assets on it in the, in the cloud environment. And so this becomes a problem and it's and it shifted in recent years from, it used to be a pretty narrow problem. Okay, we have VMs and we have object stores and databases running in the cloud and that's it. 
And uh, I don't know, we have S3 bucket, which is a form of object store, which are exposed to the internet. So you have a small number of services with a decent number of configurations to lock down. Now you have a huge array of services and oftentimes security teams don't even understand what those services are doing. So yeah, it's, I'd say it's, a, it's an accelerating problem, unfortunately, uh, for, for most organizations. I think, Rich, you've keyed in on, a, on an important factor of you know, development happening in the cloud. Um, is it secured? Is it not? I know some organizations struggle with the fact that developers may not be the best security people, right, to know truly how to secure an instance. And, and we're going to come back back to that in a second. I think we've also need to touch on the fact of, do you see currently, I know when organizations were primarily on-premise, they struggled with not only asset inventory, application inventory, what was their application portfolio truly, right? Some grew through acquisitions, some just were an old multinational that over time kind of lost track of some of the old inherent and in, in maybe um, customized applications that were just IP destinations. Do you see organizations, because most think that, okay, I'm moving to cloud, I have a clean instance in this cloud, um, I know what I have. Do you see that to be true? Or do you see organizations actually kind of struggle with their asset inventory relative to cloud computing and moving to the cloud or being in the cloud? There's a little bit of both, right? On, on one hand, you know, in, in the cloud, it's, you know, if I bring up that Wild West term again, anyone, you know, with appropriate um, uh, permissions can, can deploy whatever they want into the cloud. That makes it difficult relative to a traditional data center where, you know, back in the day, it was somebody had to go rack up a, you know, a, a server <laughs> before a developer can, can push an application to the, to the data center. Or then more recent times, somebody had to provision the VMs and some, some manual steps that could act as sort of gatekeeper type of, type of steps. And all that's gone in, in the cloud. So on one hand, you have this much easier path for any developer and any team to push something new into the cloud. So that makes it a little bit more difficult to get its hands on. On the other hand, you know, the accessibility of APIs from the cloud providers and just, just in general visibility kind of across the board makes it easier now to understand what's actually operating in one of these environments than, than in a data center world where some of that unified visibility, let's say, might not have, have been there. So you have both some pros and and cons, but but the big challenge is this balance of power shift from you know IT and infosec teams to the to the developer. There's no longer this ability to be a gatekeeper, and even in organizations where maybe there's some residual desire to kind of be a gatekeeper or or you know Doctor No or or whatever term people may have used in the in the past, uh, because of this balance of power shift from IT and infosec towards the developer. It's just impossible to, to do that. And so, yes, inventory is constantly shifting. You have ephemeral assets that live for you know, minutes or seconds at a, at a time. What does that even mean from an inventory standpoint? And then you know, this is exacerbated by the fact that most organizations are now multi-cloud. And as I mentioned before, we have hundreds of services potentially available to developers to, to start using. So it's, it's a big challenge still for a lot of organizations. And, and as you know, as I'm sure where you're going with this question, uh, if you don't know what you have, you don't, you know, it's impossible to secure it. So. Well, and I think that's what we talked over a year ago also about 
how Zscaler can actually, the technology can actually help organizations identify potentially where these instances are, right? Because if you know where your users are going, what their what their target destination is, then you can start to deduct what do they have here? Who are they going? Why is this developer going to GCP? Right? Those sorts of things. So I think yeah, you know, we had touched on that previously. And if anyone hasn't listened to that episode, please, it's episode, I think it's 25. Um, of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, where we actually touched on um, how the Zscaler technology can help. And with that, I think the one more thing that um, I, is, I hear so many talk about is the worry of misconfigurations. And can you touch on a little bit about, are there common misconfigurations that we see quite often or that we're talking to others about, or is it all over all over the board? I mean, because there's a lot of features and functionalities like you had already talked about to turn on and off. There are some, you know, I guess what most organizations would would think of as really egregious policy violations related to configurations that come up quite often. You know, the biggest one is some data stored at rest in the cloud that is inadvertently exposed to the, to the outside world. There's internet exposure generally, because of course that's the, you know, the first path for a bad actor to make their way into, into an environment. So I would say that's, you know, so the most common cause is do we have only the, you know, the, the necessary resources uh, exposed uh, to the outside outside world. But one that um, I would say is, is probably less prevalent in, you know, the trade press and the overall, you know, security reporting out there, but we see quite commonly across our customer base are a special form of, of misconfigurations that I would typically refer to as entitlements and, and permissions, right? And so a cloud has an identity model, public cloud has an identity model, just like a lot of other, uh, you know, other, other applications. And, and one of the most overlooked things that we see when we deploy our product posture control into customer environments is just a really uh, uh, um, overlooked, you know, sort of, uh, set of concerns around entitlements and permissions. So most organizations, they go into the cloud and they take their humans, the, the people that are actually developers, cloud engineers, whoever, and they have that, those roles and permissions appropriately locked down. They're trying to set, you know, the appropriate less privileged principles for those users. They're, you know, uh, employing MFA, you know, multi-factor authentication. That piece is, is, is pretty well locked down in most cloud mature organizations, but where we see the huge oversight is in the services. So just like a you as a cloud user may have a set of uh, roles assigned to you and permissions, so does uh, a VM running on EC2, some compute or a, or a database. These things also have a set of roles and, and permissions. And that's where we see a really huge gap that's leading to a lot of big issues for organizations is that you know, a long time back in the Wild West, let's say for a given organization, they will have deployed a set of assets, created sort of a template for those assets. And, and maybe in those early days, they gave really broad permissions to those uh, to those assets. And a lot of that is just carried forward into, into newer and newer assets and several evolutions later in their cloud environment. And the challenge with that is that if a user, whether it's a legitimate user or, or somebody that's compromised the account, somebody were to gain access to that particular asset, they can assume those privileges and permissions that, that asset has. And so I had a situation not too long ago, we went to a customer environment, deployed our product in as an assessment, and we found hundreds of um, EC2 VMs that had effectively full uh, IAM permissions inside of this environment, which means if some, uh, some attacker or even a legitimate user were to gain access to one or more of those EC2 instances, 
they're able then to, you know, to basically create their own new accounts and change all kinds of permissions in the environment. That's, that's a hugely impactful thing. So misconfigurations mean a lot of things, but sometimes, you know, something like this, this is a form of configuration, your roles and permissions. And, and that's the thing that's most often overlooked in our customer environments. That's so interesting to me because, you know, most people focus on the security and the permissions of a user, right? And a lot of times we'll talk about, well, I think our users are our biggest risk. But in this scenario, the user isn't the biggest risk. The risk is, do you allow such, do you have a process, I guess is another way to say it. Do you have a process that is constantly verifying that the permissions on an environment is appropriate? I guess one way to look at it is that in that scenario, the user is still the biggest risk. It's just that you know you have to you have to understand how uh, permissions associated with with a service that's running in the cloud can you know can be assumed by that by that user, right? It's not as simple as Pam has access to the environment. These are Pam's roles in this environment, and 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 that's it. Pam has access to this environment, and these are Pam's roles. Pam also has access to these assets in the environment, and these are their roles and their permissions. And so it's sort of this, this transferability of those permissions that really becomes problematic. And unfortunately, the, you know, the cloud provider tools uh, don't make it easy to understand that. It's easy for me to understand which roles are assigned to you. It is almost impossible for me to understand uh, you know, what roles you have access to uh, by access to other services in the environment. That's, that's where the big challenge lies. Which ultimately then really drives the relationship, would you say, between the dev and the security teams um, for those instances or those environments? Yeah, the, the relationship between dev and, and security has never been nearly as important as it is in, in the public cloud world. One, you know, for this, you know, for, for this reason, the, the, the root cause of a lot of these issues is well-intentioned development teams granting broad permissions either to users or to services in these environments during the development phase. So they just, to, to eliminate any kind of slowdown and, and to allow them to just, you know, develop at the, the pace that they're being asked to, to, to develop at. Uh, and this is inherently sort of a, a, a mismatch oftentimes with security teams where obviously they're, they're tasked with, with reducing risk. And, and the, really the biggest challenge that I see uh, in in uh, the cloud environment is that um, you know as I mentioned before there's this this balance of power shift but the big challenge is that in a cloud mature environment very little of what is actually running in the cloud is actually manually configured by somebody almost all of it is is auto, you know described and automated by a set of tools uh, that security teams have almost no influence over and and no insight into and so this has been you know, one of the big things oftentimes when I talk to uh, you know, folks in security roles inside of organizations. You know, we what what starts out as a technology oriented discussion around cloud security very much becomes, you know, probably eighty ninety percent a discussion on people and process and how can we as an infosec team uh, collaborate much more efficiently and effectively with the development team. And and this is a big challenge. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, for most organizations, development team is tasked with agility and innovation not on security. And so there's an inherent mismatch in, um, you know, in the goals and objectives of, of the roles. Uh, and, you know, because of the, the sort of democratic nature of, of the cloud, 
if the development team doesn't like what the, the security team has to say or is trying to push on them, they can just do it anyway, right? And, and so this, in my mind, I think you hit on something interesting with that question. It's the, probably the most important thing is, is how can an InfoSec team collaborate more efficiently with, with, the, with the application development teams in the tools and in the workflows that those folks are already using. So it becomes less about being a gatekeeper and more about being a collaborator in the path to, to innovation. Uh, it's a hard challenge, but I think that um, cloud allows it to, you know, to happen as well because you know, the, a lot of the, the policies and other findings that organizations are pushing in the cloud can be applied just as easily to a, a post-deployment cloud environment as to you know, something in the, in the software development lifecycle. Well, and let's face it, through the years, security has been seen as the big brother who says no. And really what it comes down to is being able to work, to your point, collaboratively between the dev teams, the security teams, to be able to enable the actual dev, the, the, the developers, right, who are advancing their businesses, but doing it in a way where security can help secure what they're actually doing. And I also found it interesting that we did a recent study here at Zscaler on the state of zero trust. We found that nearly half respondents said that data privacy and security in the cloud were primary barriers um, to going ahead and moving more resources to the cloud. So it's kind of all tying into this, right, Rich, of how do you address someone who would sit down and tell you that, that you know, that they're not going to move resources to the cloud because they just they're just so focused on data privacy and the security of it. Well, I guess my my initial reaction when someone makes that statement is I wouldn't necessarily do that do this directly, but my initial reaction is what have you done in your data center that is so much more secure than what you have running in the cloud, right? I mean, if you think about it. AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, you know, some of the other kind of, you know, the, the next tier down of, of cloud service providers, their entire business depends on their ability to help protect data. And then as we all know, there's this, this concept of a shared responsibility model in the cloud where the, the cloud service provider CSP is, is responsible for some elements of, of security and, and the customer is responsible for some other elements. But at the end of the day, if you look at what these cloud providers are doing, right, they are addressing vulnerabilities in their, in their portion of the shared responsibility model much more quickly. Uh, they are subject to the broadest possible range of, you know, regulatory and, and, and overall security, you know, sort of scrutiny for, for uh, security of these services. They have things like data sovereignty and other kinds of things, you know, nailed pretty well. Uh, you know, resilience and reliability are, are, you know, there's a lot of reasons why the cloud can be more secure. And, and the biggest sort of drawback that I see is, is lack of familiarity, uh, you know, at, at, at this point. So, but still at the end of the day, there's a new set of tools and explosion of services and a set of things that the enterprise is responsible for in, in terms of their part of the shared responsibility model. And I think it's just a, it's a matter of getting familiar with the capabilities that are available in the, in the market help, you know, a lot of InfoSec teams are, are, are seeing much better efficiency as an organization as a whole by moving to the cloud as opposed to the traditional data center model. So not only can it be more secure, it can be more efficient as, as well. And it's just a matter of kind of getting your head around and, and educating on, on what those elements and levers are. Well, let's face it, it is scary. You don't know what you don't know when you're moving to cloud. You yeah. can take all the classes in the world, all the tutorials, all the online training. 
And as all of us, right, anything we move to for the first time, it's the unknown that gets you and holds you back. And quite frankly, for some of these organizations that have in the past had issues such as a breach or so forth, you know, how do you start to even understand how to troubleshoot? We're all so used to doing it and securing things in a data center, thinking that to your point, it was the most secure it could be. You know, I've talked to organizations who have said, oh, I mean, stood there like just beating their chests of the the security they've implemented in the layers and layers and layers of complexity that they've built. And it's interesting because I sit back and I'm like, do you really think all those layers are making you safer? Are you sure you even know the complexities you put into this environment? And are all those complexities truly what they should be to secure you? It, it kind of, I don't know, sometimes people think more is better versus let's take a different approach to this, right? And I think, I think that- a common a common question to ask would be explain these 200,000 firewall rules that you have built in front of your data center. <laughs> Nobody can do it. They're just nope. there because they were put in place long ago and everyone's afraid to touch them. Right? Oh yeah, because if you remove a rule and you don't know what it does, you don't know what it'll break because you're not sure what it's doing. Right. So to your point. Um, and so now we'll shift, we'll, we'll shift a little bit. Um, regulatory compliance, uh, I see is another topic that seems to come to mind in, in discussions, right? With data sovereignty and country of origin and residence, uh, regionalized regulations, it all seems to be very complex. How can we, um, how can we intelligently tackle this topic? Well, you know, I think, once again, I think this is an area where cloud offers some some opportunity. Things like data sovereignty, as an example, country of origin and residence, the cloud providers have done a great job of, of making their infrastructure available in a you know, really broad range of, uh, of, of geographies, right? That represents, that's, that's something that's easily accessible to enterprises of every size that would not have been accessible to most organizations and the traditional data center world, just because of the cost of, of deploying into all these different regions. So there's, you know, there's some element of cloud that sort of um, helps with uh, with a number of the concerns that you that you raised. But then also, as with before, you know, prior, early in this discussion, there's some elements that make it more challenging. So, for example, the the uh, typical container in a Kubernetes environment, on average, lasts for less than ten minutes. So as opposed to a virtual machine that may live for for months at a time, right? So if you have a periodic audit uh, that you have to uh, attest to, and and you have these highly dynamic ephemeral types of assets like containers and serverless functions and all kinds of other stuff that's changing on a regular basis, what do you do in that audit? Uh, Even for just sort of the basics of understanding what you have running, I mean, it it becomes very difficult. And so the, the, the answer is that you have to move from sort of this periodic, uh, you know, checkpoint type, um, type compliance attestation to more of a, a continuous and a set of tools that allow you to capture, you know, throughout that that, that audit period, um, you know, what it is that you had had running and what things had, had changed. And so I think that's that's probably the biggest thing is is you know just understanding that. Um, you know, inventory and 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 you know the, the the sort of the posture of that inventory is not at all static anymore. 
Uh, and so you just have to have a different mindset around, uh, around compliance. So we've talked a lot about the current state, which frankly, some of these things are the same we talked about a year ago. And we've also talked about the fact of what organizations should be looking for, how they should be thinking about things differently and so forth. So what's Zscaler doing to help organizations go ahead and and think about, not only think about it, but actually secure these instances differently? I think we've mentioned a couple of times thus far uh, a product called Posture Control. So Posture Control is Zscaler's offering in the cloud-native application protection platform for what we call CNAP space. And, and these CDAP platforms in the last year, year and a half have gotten really popular in, in the enterprise. Um, you know, not only do they help consolidate a pretty broad range of what were separately or were previously separate and, and siloed tools like cloud security cluster management, which deals with misconfigurations. We talked about that. Cloud infrastructure entitlement management, which deals with permissions, vulnerability scanning, you know, broad range of different sort of um, uh, tools can be consolidated into into a CNAP. But importantly, these, these platforms have gotten so popular, including posture control, because they help organizations prioritize really what's important, right? Because at the end of the day, you have 20,000 vulnerability uh, scan findings and 10,000 misconfiguration findings and, and on and on. It can be difficult to see through the noise and understand what's really driving risk in your, in your organization. So these platforms have gotten really uh, popular because they help tie things together, correlate, and then prioritize. So example, it can tell you that you have a, a container running on a managed Kubernetes service in one of the cloud providers. And that container has a critical severity untouched vulnerability. But then also there's a misconfiguration in, in, um, in, in the network uh, controls in that environment that exposes that container to the outside world. Now what you have is an untouched vulnerability, which, which is a, a really critical one. And you have an internet exposure allowing an attacker to remotely exploit that vulnerability. That means that your likelihood of an incident is, is probably very high in that environment. So that's one portion of risk. Risk, of course, is any C-level, actually not even security, just generally any C-level will, will tell you, you know, risk is a, is a factor of, of impact and, and likelihood. So CNAPs have gotten popular because they can show you the likelihood of an incident. Exposed asset with an unfetched vulnerability. But that's only part of the risk equation. The other part is risk impact. Risk impact is, you know, what is what is potentially going to be the downside or the cost to my organization if if such an incident were to happen? And and CNET platforms have largely not addressed this this question, right? Typically, it's been something like maybe a data protection solution focused on the cloud. They can tell you this is where all your sensitive data is, and this is the exposure if that particular sensitive data were were um, you know got into the hands of of a bad actor. And so one of the really cool things that we're, in fact, we just recently announced this, that we're, we've converged at Zscaler is these two worlds, this concept of a CNAP, which helps you identify risk likelihood, uh, and a data protection platform, a comprehensive data protection platform that identifies, classifies all the sensitive data running in your cloud environment, and tie these two things together in a uh, really smart fashion that allows the, the team to prioritize based on risk. And so what does it mean? So it means that if you have that container with that, that uh, misconfigured security group that's allowing access to the outside world, you also know whether or not that container has any access, access to any sensitive data. So it's a very clear visualization and understanding of the attack path so that now you know if there is an incident, exactly what is exposed in terms of your sensitive data 
And you're much more closer to a true risk-based prioritization than you ever would have been able to get to uh, before with, with these tools at separate standalone areas. That is really, um, for so many organizations, really important. It's the minimization of all these pointed tactical right solutions and being able to take more of a holistic approach and find those operational efficiencies you know, again, it, it's so often on this show that we talk about the fact of so many focus and may have a master of a solution, right? And they're looking at that solution, but their peers may only know a little bit about that solution. And when you have all these very tactical solution one-offs, it becomes very difficult from an operational perspective to find any efficiencies, not to mention so many organizations are finding themselves with very skilled tool staff, right? Their technicians are, are really pulled thin. And how wonderful to hear that this has been put into um, the posture control, the data loss protection, the visibility, all of this in order to have that, that holistic view into it. So with that, Rich, I'd like to thank you so much. It's been a great conversation again, and we will not wait a year to have you back on this show. We will have you on much sooner. So thank you. Thank you, Pam. That was exciting to be here. I appreciate the time today. And for all of you listening, thank you so much and stay tuned for another episode. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.